Alex was born in 2011. The age of six, we were told that Alex has a muscle disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Then there is no cure, life expectancy is short, and there's nothing we can do. Please, not this disease, please, not my child, please, not this situation. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, this is it. You have to deal with this. But I realized, okay, I'm going to have to take care of this child with this disease, this condition, with the knowledge that it's only going to get worse. Then I'm going to do it my way. Hi and welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. My name's Andrew Ward and I'm here with Kieran tonight. Hi Kieran, how are you today? I'm great, Andrew, thank you. Kieran, we say this every time on this show, don't we? Every week we say this, but this is just another mind-blowing story of what is going on in people's personal lives. Yes, this particular story, Andrew, was heartbreaking. It was something that um, a parent never wants to go through, never wants to feel. Um, and inevitably, Lucine tells us her story of her challenges with her son, Alex. It really is heartbreaking and every parent's worst nightmare, but the, the, the way her approach and her whole family's approach it, it is really amazing, isn't it? Her approach was so admirable, you know, the way she shifted her mindset to, you know, using this as an opportunity to live life to the max, to live life today, to be fully present today. And her commitment to Alex and dedication to her family was just was just amazing. What really stood out to me, Andrew, was her commitment to herself. Mm, definitely. You know, and I loved to hear her talk about that, to hear Lucine comment on what she's doing for her. Because in order for her to put herself in a strong position, she needs to look after herself. She needs to fill mm -hmm. her bucket. And by doing that, she can then help and support and serve Alex the best she can. Well, let's get straight into this really powerful story. This is Lucine. Lucine, thank you so much for coming with us tonight. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Lucine, I've had a look at your, uh, your LinkedIn profile. And it's pretty impressive. It says professional negotiator. I cannot start this podcast without you telling us what does a professional negotiator do? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a real job. And people often think about professional negotiators, about the Hollywood movies and this man coming in and solving all types of hostage negotiations. And although there are professional negotiators who work for the special forces, there are actually also professional negotiators who work for businesses, for companies. So that's what I do. Companies hire me in to help them with their difficult negotiations. So that can be either behind the scene or negotiate on their behalf or train the teams to negotiate better. Wonderful. Sounds really exciting. It is. So Lucine, tell us, what message do you want to give to our listeners tonight? Tonight, I'm very happy to be invited by you to share a story, um, the biggest um, adversity that I am facing in life and how through my negotiation skills, I'm going through that. 
So tell us, Lucien, tell us about your story. Give us, a, give us an in-depth chat about what you're currently going through. My career started in finance, so very analytical, very rational. I was working on trading floors of some investment banks in Europe. Um, and then I moved to the stock exchange. So it was extremely high pressure, but also very rational. And then everything changed when I became a mother. My son, Alex, was born in 2011. And I slowly noticed that in order to be a good mom, you couldn't rely only on your analytical skills. There was so much more involved in the emotional intelligence world. So I started developing that. Obviously, when you become a parent, your heart opens to a new kind of a love, right? That we didn't even know we could feel. So everything was going relatively well. And then at the age of six, the big bomb fell where we were told that Alex has a progressive disease a muscle disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which literally breaks down his muscles. Then there is no cure. Life expectancy is short and there's nothing we can do. So obviously, I mean, you're a parent, you can imagine if when that happens, it's just your, your world, it's just finished, right? You think, okay, this is it. This is the end. And that is literally what I thought. I, I could not imagine that after that, there would be a day where I would be happy again, where I would be able to smile again, where life would just continue again. Because after news like that, hearing that you're going to lose your child and there is no cure and there's nothing you can do. It's just, for me, it was the most devastating news that I've ever heard. And as a certified professional negotiator, I tried to negotiate with life. I tried to negotiate with God. I tried to negotiate the solution, like, please, not this disease. Please, not my child. Please, not this situation. And although I put everything on the table, I couldn't negotiate myself out of this. And that's when I realized if certain things happen in your life that you can't negotiate, that you can't change, then what is it that you then can do? And that's when I learned that, okay, there's nothing I can do about the disease, but what I can do is how I'm going to live with that so that he still has a mom that is smiling and happy so that his life can still be good. And that's when with my husband, we decided, you know what, there's nothing we can do about how long he's going to live, but let's then go all in on his quality of life, on how well he's going to live. And that's why we decided to move from France to Dubai and, and the rest is history. So he's 11 now. The disease is doing its work. So it's breaking down his muscles. He can't walk anymore. He's in a wheelchair. We don't know how long he has, but he is having a great life. He's going to a great school. He has great friends. And, and I can honestly look myself in the mirror and say, this is the best life that I can give him. And he's having a great life. He's happy. Um, and that's what in the end we want as parents. And through that journey, the biggest discovery that I made was at the moment where we moved from Paris to Dubai, and I was trying to find a house and buy a car and, and find the right school and the right physicians and the medical team. That was so heavy in a new country and, and in the extreme heat that there was one moment where I thought, I, I just can't do this. This is too heavy. I'm not that type of mom. I can't carry this. I cannot take care of a son that is you know, going to be disabled and is going to die. Like, how on earth am I going to do that? I simply am not strong enough. I don't have the shoulders to carry something like this. It's too much. I can't do it. 
And I was discussing that with my husband and tried to, trying to find a way out of this. And he said, you simply don't have a choice because it's not only about you. It's not only about him. It's also about me. It's also about our daughter. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, this is it. You have to deal with this. And then something happened, Kiran, something that gave me a sense of freedom, which might sound weird, but I realized, okay, I'm going to have to take care of this child with this disease, this condition, with the knowledge that it's only going to get worse. So then, since this is not something I chose, this is not something I wanted, this is not something I signed up for, what I can do is then I'm going to do it my way. So there was a sense of freedom of saying, you know what, we're in a new country. I'm going to do this exactly my way. And I'm not going to be inspired or dictated or impressed by how the world wants me to be. What is the right way of doing things? What is being a good mom? What is this? What is that? And I just pushed everything away and say, if I have to face this, which I don't want, then I'm going to do it my way. And, and, and something shifted in me. It, it, it was actually very empowering because I all of a sudden was there like a blank sheet of saying, okay, this is life 2.0. And you have the pen in your hands and write it your way. Live life your way. Make the decisions your way. So that's when slowly, step by step, I started making different choices. I made like a cleanup in the friends that I had. I decided I only want to have optimistic people around me, positive people around me, empowering people around me. I, I, you know, the movies I was watching, the books I was reading, the people I was surrounding myself with, it just became my one massive shift of saying, I am running a marathon here, so I can only be surrounded by people who support me. So that is one of the things that I did. And then loads of other things where I started working on myself so much I said, okay, I literally have to carry him one day. So I have to become stronger. So I started working out, which I had never done before. And as I always tell Alex, through your disease, we all became healthier. I became healthier. My husband became healthier. We started making radical shifts in the nutrition that we were giving him. Like we, we did everything and we still do everything we can to slow down the progression and hopefully have him with us as long as possible. But all those changes are positive changes. And then by me sharing his story, be it on LinkedIn or in the media, it's making a positive impact on other people's lives as well. So here we are having one family that suffers, but through that suffering, millions that get inspired, that learn something, that look at their own lives differently, that look at their own suffering differently. So then you give it purpose. And that's what in the end then gives me strength to continue. Lucien, thank you so much for sharing that. I can only imagine how difficult it is. Congratulations to you for, for being so strong and, and well done. And thank you for being so strong for Alex. Uh, I can only imagine how, how tough that news was. You mentioned, Lucien, about um, improving Alex's quality of life. Mm. What improved? What changed? You know, when we have healthy children we tend to be very focused on the parents that we wanted to be, the life that we wanted to have ourselves as children. This is very subconscious. And we tend to copy the education that we had or go to the other extreme of not giving the education that we had because we suffered from it as children. And when you are dealing with a child that is going to die, all that disappears because 
whether you want it or not, you cannot be the parent that you wanted to be. You cannot have the child that you imagined to have. You cannot do the fun stuff that you had in mind. I mean, I was dreaming of playing football with him and go cycling with him and swimming with him. All that is impossible. So then you can either become completely depressed, which a lot of parents do and is totally understandable. But you can also say, okay, how can I make his life the best possible, including all the things that we can't do? So, okay, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do that, and the list is very long. But then that also gives them a sense of freedom because they're like, okay, then what's left? And we just focus on that. And also we live we live for now. Like we, we don't make big plans anymore. It's very short term. And we jump on every opportunity that we have. Before I used to think a lot about, can I do this? Can I afford that? And now I'm like, whatever, you know, let's just do it. Money get, gets a whole other meaning. It's as if his life and therefore ours is compressed. And we often see this with people who, you know, as, as adults get the diagnosis of, of a fatal disease. That's when they start living. That's when they start realizing how beautiful life actually is. And I always say, I was actually blessed to have a warning from life, that life is short, that life is precious. Whereas you have so many people that die from an accident. And then the first thing I think is, oh my God, their parents, right? They didn't get a warning. They didn't know. They were assuming that they were going to uh, die before their kids. And boom, and an accident puts an end to everything. And here I am seeing literally every day my son's health deteriorate, things that he could do that he can't do anymore. So it's like in your face every day that he's literally dying. His cells are dying. That's what's happening with this horrible disease. So then it's it's just a warning every single day, enjoy life forget about things that don't really matter, move on fast. I became like really an expert in moving on, moving on from situations, from people, from whatever hurt me. I just move on. You know, I, I, I don't stay there for a very long time, but that also gives you a sense of it, it's a battle against life. Like, okay, you know what? Throw it at me. What else do you have? What else do you have? Because I became so strong at moving on and, and keeping the smile and saying, I have to be positive for him. You know, like you said, or people saying, Luz, how do you do, do it to be so strong? And my question is, how can I not be strong? You know, it's not that I want to, it's not that I have a choice, but I want Alex to see me happy so that he can be happy. If he knows, senses, or feels that I'm unhappy, that I'm sad, children pick that up. So I don't have a choice but to be strong. That's beautifully put, Lucien, and it's so admirable the way you're living life to the max and... You know, but I can't help but, but feel that it can't be easy and that every day must be a struggle. It is. It's horrible. <laughs> what, what do you do for you when you're having a bad day? Well, that same blank page gave me the opportunity to think about this question. Like, you know, what do I want in life? What, what, what type of woman do I want to be? What kind of work do I want to do? And having the courage to actually do it. So becoming a professional negotiator was something that... Uh, you know, I wanted for years and I had the degrees and I had the certificate, but it was in Dubai that I launched the activity. It was in Dubai that I partnered up with professional negotiators who had trained me years before and we decided to work together. And then slowly I started sharing Alex's story in the beginning on LinkedIn and then companies started booking me to speak about this, to, you know, motivate their their, their teams 
and I was like, yeah, why not? You know, let's try. And the first time I was extremely nervous uh, when I shared Alex's story. And plus it was like triple reason to be nervous. First, I was sharing Alex's story for the first time outside of personal uh, setting. Second, it was one of my best friend's company. So I was like, oh my God, I have to perform for him. And three, there were 900 people online. So <laughs> the pressure was high, but Kiran, it was amazing. I prepared for like a week and I wrote a speech and I changed it. Whereas normally I don't prepare that much. I just go with the flow. But this one was so special that I prepared and prepared. And then the talk happened and it was truly amazing. The feedback was amazing. The way I felt was amazing. And I felt like this big hand behind me, like I was being pushed, like, go do this. This is what you're meant to do. I remember it was in an evening because it was in Europe. So it was evening here. And after that, I just couldn't sleep. I was so full of energy and excitement. I felt like I'm on a mission. I'm doing something that I'm supposed to do. And that is such a beautiful feeling. And I hope everybody gets to experience that at least once because that's, you just feel all the pieces of the puzzle fit. I don't think it's a coincidence that I was given the talents to speak, to share stories, to be a storyteller, to be on stage. And at the same time, this sick child to take care of and love as much as I can. So when you bring those two together and I start sharing his story, it's really like, okay, God or life, you know, I'll do whatever you want for me. If this is what, what was in the stars for me, then let's do it the best I can. Wow, it sounds as if you were given a, a new lease of life, a new drive and, you know, your, your commitment and your resilience to everything is really admirable, Lucene. And you mentioned your daughter and your husband. <laughs> How has the whole experience been for them? Ooh, something like this can literally make or break you, right? A lot of families don't survive bad news like this. And the percentages of divorce, I mean, with normal couples where, where there is no big catastrophe, the, the divorce rate is already 50%, right? Like one out of two couples, they don't make it. In families with a sick child, that percentage goes up to 80%. Why? Because the, the other is a constant mirror of your pain. The other is feeling the same pain as you are in the same intense way. And then there's so many things that you have to agree on, on the care, on the finances. It's, it's such a strain on the family that it's not surprising that many, many marriages fail or at least don't survive. Let's put it that way. When I read about that the first time, I told my husband, I said, babe, we have to work extra hard to make this work. We owe it to Alex to stay together at least as long as he lives so that we don't put that extra burden on him. Although obviously, you know, in certain circumstances, a divorce is better than staying together, but we have to work extra hard to make this work. So it became also a, a kind of fresh air for the couple of saying, okay, then what kind of couple do we want to be? And the necessity of communicating constantly about his standard of care, about the appointments, about this, about that, made us like whether we want it or not, we have to communicate a lot. So we have to put time aside to sit together and say, okay, what do we with this? What do we do with that? But that also then allowed us to simply communicate a lot about ourselves, about our feelings. My husband is not somebody who talks a lot about his emotions. So I kind of help them to do that because you can't not talk about your emotion. This is too big to keep it in. But then, yeah, we're both different. We're two, two different people um, and we process things differently. 
when we got the diagnosis, I went into action mode immediately, like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? Because that is what gave me a sense of control, which you completely lose with something like this. And he was more in denial of like, this can't be it. And I want a second opinion. And I want to talk to another doctor. Well, I was like, come on, let's, you know, let's do this and let's do that. So we had to kind of wait for each other or, you know, and, and those are things you don't know when you, when you haven't faced that. So we got to know each other even better and we have to fight harder. And, but then again, that sense of blank page of saying, this is life 2.0 also allows you to then have the freedom of saying, what kind of couple do we want to be? And what do we want to do? And we deliberately made the choices of doing things together, but also giving each other space to grieve in our own way. Because this disease, since it's progressive, there is a constant grief. Like, you know, next month, there's going to be a new thing that he can't do anymore. And then we have to grieve that. And then there's going to be a new thing that he needs. And then we have to grieve what he could do. So it's constantly that grief. And I have learned how to deal with my grief. I know that he deals with it differently. And I just let him do it his way. But yeah, it's work. It's hard work. And and we have fights also, of course, like every couple but we just have to be mindful that we're a team and we have to do this together. So, you know, whether we like each other or not, <laughs> this has to work. Well, thank God we love each other a lot. So that works, but it's, it's work, it's work and love, not only for us, but for everybody, love is action. Love is a verb. It's not something you love each other and then fantastic. Okay. No, that's where it starts. And then it's all the decisions that you have to make out of love and out of respect for each other to let each other be, and at the same time have great teamwork. So for us, for example, we are very complementary in terms of skills. So I do more the research and understanding the clinical trials and what's happening. And I make the appointments with the doctors and, and communicate with them and negotiate with them when it's necessary. And he's more application-based and he gets things done. So I talk to the doctors, okay, we're going to give this medicine and we're going to give that vitamin and we're going to do that nutrition thingy. And then he's the one who actually buys it and gives it to Alex. So yeah, th those kind of things. It's real teamwork. It's it's like running a company. <laughs> it sure sounds like it. And um, as, as you said wonderfully, any marriage or relationship takes lots of work, lots of commitment and teamwork. So um. So putting this additional pressure can, just can't be easy. Mm. Your daughter, you mentioned your daughter, Lucine. It, it must be extremely difficult for her. Can you tell us a bit about how she's coping through this time? Yeah, so she just turned eight. And I think she's only starting to realize now about how serious this disease is and that it's not something that will go away. And I can only imagine how hard it must be for her we try to, you know, communicate very openly about all this. We have told Alex about it. I'm very honest with Elise as well. I mean, I just tell her as it is, obviously, in her language. But what was funny was, for example, two years ago, we Alex started falling a lot, and we knew that we had to buy a wheelchair that would be more safe. I was so nervous that first day when we were going to the hospital to try wheelchairs. I told him, you know, this is excellent. You're going to have a wheelchair. You're not going to fall anymore. This is fantastic. And you can choose the color, et cetera. And, and we go as a family. So the four of us and Alex tries the wheelchair and, and he picks one. And we're on our way home and Elise starts crying. So I thought because she's sad or something. And she says, what about me? I want a wheelchair too. <laughs> I was like, what? I didn't see that one coming. And she was 
truly sad that she didn't have a wheelchair because she saw Alec drive around in this electric wheelchair with the joystick and it was actually really cool. So she made a drama in that moment. I, was, I did not see this one coming. I am not prepared for this. I don't have energy for this. So we went to a store with a toy store and I said, let's find the Barbie in a wheelchair. Let's find a toy in a wheelchair. And then you get your wheelchair in a toy version. And then he gets his real one. She was like, honestly upset. Like, why does he get a wheelchair? And I don't. And and it's the same when he was a bit younger and he couldn't, he, he could never really go up the stairs very well. So we used to help him up. And then she would look at us like, yeah, now carry me up. You know, why do you carry him up? And I have to walk. So there was a lot of things that he was, she was not understanding why he was different that created some annoying and sometimes funny stories in the house. Yeah, and um, it's a credit to her and it's credit to you and your husband for, for keeping everybody together and, and, and making your daughter Elise involved because I'd imagine Alex gets lots of the attention yeah. lots of the time and it's very important that we don't forget Elise and that you know and she's right you know when 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 my daughter gets something my son wants something and vice versa so it makes complete sense exactly you know? right for them it makes sense it's just for me like what, what do you want to do with the wheelchair <laughs> so that's that's yeah Lucine you mentioned Alex's um that he was deteriorating. Just for our listeners, where is he today? What about his, what, what's his physical state at today? He got diagnosed when he was six. At age six, he could do everything. He could walk, he could run, he could go up the stairs, although he was going like one step at a time, which we found a bit weird, but then we understood. But then slowly, like literally one day he wakes up and he can't walk up the stairs anymore. He can still go down, but he can't go up anymore. And then one day... Uh, he falls and he can't get back up anymore. So that's when I had to tell him, I'm sorry, honey, you can't go outside and play alone anymore. And then somebody has to be constantly with you because when you fall, you can't get up anymore. Whereas the day before, he still went alone and played football with his friends, you know? So it's, it's this disease, it's not like linear. It's like all of a sudden, boom, something else that doesn't work anymore. Until the day came where he couldn't walk anymore. And then last November, the day where he couldn't stand anymore. He, he asked me to lift him up so that he could go to the washroom. I lifted him up and he just couldn't stand. So that was it. So it's a constant new way, adaptation. You know, I, if there's one thing I learned, it's agility and quickly what I taught you, move on and grieve properly and then just move on, knowing that the next phase of grief is waiting for me anyway. So I don't, I don't even have the luxury to take the time to grieve because I have to live in between moments of grief. He's right now 11. He can't walk anymore. He can't stand anymore. He's in a full-time wheelchair, but he can still use his arms. I noticed lately that he has difficulties even lifting his glass to his mouth. So we bought very light glasses. So yeah, we're trying to keep him independent as long as possible, allow him to do stuff as long as possible, allow him to live his passion, which is football, everything surrounding football, until the next phase. The next phase will be that he can't lift his arms anymore. You know, Then we have to help him get dressed, which is already a bit the case. But then the worst part is that he's not going to have the strength even to breathe anymore. So he's going to need respiratory aid at night to get the oxygen. And one day, even by day, by having a mask or a tube. And then the, the final stage is when his heart gives up and says, I've had it. And then when the heart gives up, then obviously that's where he leaves us. Thank you, Lucene, for for giving us that picture of how it is. Lucien, for any listeners out there who's going through similar challenges, what would you like to say to them? 
The number one thing that made a difference in my life, in my life 2.0, when facing this adversity is when I started to talk differently to myself. When I started improving the relationships that I had with myself and allowing myself to make the mistakes because we all make many mistakes and specifically when we're going through adversity. So learn to forgive myself quickly, focus on what goes well, decide what kind of life I want despite this adversity. It's such an internal job because life takes something away from you. Um, so you have the right to grieve. You have the right to see it as a loss. Even if it's not losing a person, it's still a loss of the life you had in mind. So whenever you're faced with adversity, I would say the number one thing, look at the person in the mirror and become friends with him or her and sit down and have a peace negotiation with yourself because the big heavy luggage that you're carrying with you is not going to help you going forward. So we need to make that as light as possible. So grow through you know, therapy or coaching or whatever you need to have the guidance to become better friends with yourself and have a better relationship with yourself. Because when that happens, that becomes the standard of how you allow other people to treat you. And I promise you, you will attract better people who treat you better, who support you. And because the, the error we often make is think that we're alone or that this is unique. There are literally hundreds of millions of parents having a sick child. There are hundreds of millions of people who go through any adversity that you go through or that you will be faced with. So you're not alone. It's not unique, but you can create an environment where you feel supported instead of alone because pain shared is obviously easier to carry than having to carry it alone. So yeah, different messages, I guess, but have peace negotiations with yourself and don't think you have to do it alone because you don't have to. Very well put, Lucina. And I always say this to, to people I work with about the words being selfish. You know, I encourage it. Yeah. I, I, it, does, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to put ourselves for, I actually said to my wife this morning about taking a break. You know, if we put ourselves first, if we get ourselves in a good place, then we can serve and help other people. But if we're not feeding ourselves, then we're no good to anybody else. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and it's not selfish. It's selfish to want to be there for everybody else and then losing yourself in the story and then working yourself until a burnout and a depression and then not being able to help anybody else. Who are you serving then? You know, I have to be so strong for Alex that... I have to train myself mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and I take a lot of time for that. I mean, I have a personal trainer at the gym. I have a business coach. I, you know, I, I spend money on becoming better day by day. And I have these monthly challenges with myself. And now I'm trying to go to bed early. All those things, anything I can do to become better so that I have the strength to, to deal with this because it's heavy, it's hard. And there are... So many days where I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I just can't handle it anymore. It's too painful. It's too hard. It's too heavy. But then another thing that, that, that can also help is, you know, we tend to compare to other people who have it better, who have it easier. But what about just one minute comparing to people who have it worse? You know, it doesn't make your life any easier. But me knowing that there are parents out there who have two children with this disease, who have three children with this disease, who are still, you know, doing it and doing the best they can. I'm like, okay, I only have one. I have a healthy child. I owe it to them to be as, as strong as I can. And being strong also sometimes means going to my room and crying for two hours and saying, mommy is not available. Like, leave me alone. 
that is part of strength because that is part of giving me what I need. If that in that moment that is rest, then that is rest. If that means crying my lungs out, that's crying my lungs out. And there's no more judgment. You know, I just go with the flow of okay, what do I need? Take care of that need, and then what does the whole house need? And take care of them. Really well put, Lucena, and a wonderful perspective. So, so for you, what is next for you? Well, I love my job, so I hope that I'm going to grow in that. I hope that it will come more together where I share Alex's story and negotiation skills and how those come together and how we can face adversity through negotiation skills. I hope one day I'm going to write a book. I hope one day I'm going to give a TED Talk. I have loads of ambitions. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. And for our listeners, Lucene, where can they find you? Only on LinkedIn. I'm, I don't have a website. I'm not on Instagram, just LinkedIn, but I'm quite active there, so should be able to reach out there. Very good. And we can put that on on the details for the show notes. Lucien, thank you so much for coming on tonight to tell your story. I really appreciate how difficult it is for you. And thank you to you, your husband, Elise and Alex for sharing you with us tonight. You're welcome. Thank you for having this podcast and allowing people to share their stories. It's wonderful. It's a pleasure. Take care. So that was Lucien, uh, Kieran. A just mind-blowing that story, isn't it? Yes, Andrew. For me, that was the hardest the hardest podcast we've done because at times I was thinking what do I say next Mm, definitely you know what can you say to somebody who's looking you in the eye and saying inevitably his heart will stop Mm. it was just heartbreaking and um, and difficult and it's a difficult listen I appreciate that and what I want our listeners Andrew to get from this is Lucine's strength yeah, 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 100%, 100%. Her, her dedication, her commitment to herself, you know, as, as, as she's sharing the strategies that, you, that she uses, if it helps one person out there, that's what we want to achieve. She mentioned the word teamwork as a family. You know, she, Lucine wasn't shy to say how difficult things can be. And the reality is, Andrew, we both know marriage, relationships, friendships, it's difficult mm. and we yeah. all need to contribute we all need to talk we all need to listen to each other you know and, and we need to work together collectively collaboratively as a team to make sure that we're all moving in the right direction we always talk about the virtual toolbox that people use and you know you, you talk about the different strategies what was lucine doing and what could she do more of or what could other people take away from it I find it really interesting that she 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 openly said that she outsources everything. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love that because you know here in Dubai we get lots of things that we can because we do. Mm. You know, you can get everything delivered to your house. But Lucine's perspective on this was, well, if I outsource this, then I've got time with Alex. We've got family time we can put this time and energy to something more valuable. Outsourcing was a really good, good skill that she, that she used, good strategy. She also said that she looked after herself. Mm. You know, her gym, her own mind, she's got a business coach, she's got a PT. And as I always say, we got to fill our own bucket. We got to be in a strong place ourselves in order to, to, to help other people. And if we continue to help others and don't fill our own bucket, then we'll inevitably we're going to be empty and running an empty. And if you're running an empty, you're not very helpful to anybody. 
Yeah, it's the old phrase, isn't it, that put your own um, mask on first when the plane's going down. But th there's so much truth in that, isn't there? Absolutely, you know, and and every you know every coach out there uses that one. And uh, but the reality is, it's true, you know. And if if you, if you can't, I use the word selfish, and I always use this example because I want I, I encourage people to be selfish. I encourage my my own wife to be selfish. Mm. Take a break. Go to the gym. Go and have a coffee on your own. Obviously, the word selfish sounds very negative, but it doesn't have to be negative. It's just simply putting yourself first. Get yourself in a good place. Look after number one, and then you can look after number two, three, and four. Yeah, you're not you're not much good to anybody if you're uh, if you're already on the floor yourself, are, are you? Again, another another fascinating listen with Lucine. Now, Lucine did talk about how. She outsources things, and one of the things that you've outsourced is the sale of your book. How is it going? It's going great, Andrew. Thanks so much for asking. Um, it's been a journey, as you know. It's just wonderful when you see people buying it and people talking about it and people posting it on social media. Look, it's there to help people. It's there for, for teenagers, for parents to, to connect on what real life as a teenager is. But what I'm loving is, is people who haven't got teenagers, who haven't even got children, who come back to me and said, wow, chapter four, that was me when I was 14. So everybody can connect to it, Andrew. Everybody can learn something from it. So um, yeah, all moving in the right direction. So thanks so much for asking. And just remind us of the title and where people can get it from. Yeah, it's called Listen, Teenagers Are Challenging Stories and How to Help Them. It's available in my local super value in Cootill County Cavan. Um, I do think we need to stock up more. Mm -hmm. um, all the books have been sold out over the summer, which is great. So thank you to everyone at home for supporting. It's available in many bookshops in the Oxfordshire area yeah. and, uh, and here in Dubai in all the top bookshops and of course on Amazon on Amazon so I would encourage so I don't have I have small children I don't have teenagers but I still find it valuable when I read it through it's a great read and that's all for tonight but I will see you next time Kieran absolutely and for all the listeners please spread the word about the podcast please get your friends to subscribe download and listen because we really are trying to help people out there and the feedback has been fantastic so thanks everyone for your support and if possible please leave a review because it helps with the mumbo jumbo charts thanks Kieran I'll see you next time Pleasure, Andrew. Take care.